Webster's Dictionary defines compliance as the action or fact of complying with a wish or command. This is the Compliance Guy. The Compliance Guy. As a healthcare provider or healthcare professional, navigating the muddy waters of compliance can get tricky. And that's why we're here. Helping you mitigate risk while increasing your profitability. This is the Compliance Guy. Now, here's your host, Sean Weiss. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Compliance Guy. As always, let me begin by saying thank you all so much for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me for a little while as we get to talk about all things healthcare. Today, it's a treat. I get to welcome back a very good friend, Jared Walker of Dollar Four, Mr. Let's Go Viral with every time I post something. Um, But I wanted to have a quick conversation today. Uh, because what Jared and the incredible team at Dollar Four are doing to bring awareness to what can only be described as inconsistent or bad behavior at times on the part of individuals within healthcare organizations, um, the exposure that they're bringing to this how they are helping patients crush their medical bills legitimately. Um, And some of the lessons learned over the last year that Jared and the good good people at Dollar Four have walked away from and what he's able to share with us, I, I wanted to bring that to all of our listeners. And, you know, as we continue to, grow exponentially with this podcast i mean we we're hitting over three hundred thousand downloads a month um between spotify and apple and PodServe and pod paradise and uh, all the other places where you can find this podcast i want to make sure we're getting this message out there so um this is a quick you know, breakdown and update of what's going on at Dollar Four. So let me pause, but let me say first, buddy, welcome back to the program. It's so good to see you, so good to hear your voice. And I'm excited to hear what y'all have accomplished since the last time you're on and really what you're going to accomplish in 2023. Yeah, appreciate you having me. Uh, great, great to see you again. I think the last time that we did this was I was in DC. Um, and I was either, I'm trying to remember which time that was, uh, but I'll give you the, yeah, the quick update. So, I mean, we, we spoke shortly after, um, dollar four had our kind of viral TikTok video experience where, you know, we've had kind of told people, Hey, this is what charity care is, is how to access it. Um, you know, no one knows about it and it just blew up. Uh, and from there, we built out um, an eligibility screener. We we gathered the financial assistance policy data for every hospital in the country, put it into a web tool. Now a patient can put in their household size, income, what hospital it'll tell them if they're if they're eligible or not. Um, and then we uh, advocate for patients, um, submit all the paperwork, and and get the medical bills to go away. So we we've uh, I think we just hit twenty five million dollars in medical debt relief. 
um, on behalf of patients. Uh, and That's amazing. Absolutely thank, amazing. Thank you. It's been, yeah, it's been, it's been crazy because, um, you know, last time we talked, it was probably just me. Now we've got a staff of, you know, I think 12 people that are either full-time, part-time, um, or, or consistent contractors that we're working with. And, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're growing significantly. Um, and I think that the biggest thing is, is the data that we're collecting. So the patients that, you know, we've got thousands and thousands of people that are submitting their, their info about where their medical bills are and, and, uh, what, you know, what their experience is. So we've been able to kind of use patient advocacy as a vehicle to, to drive policy change at the hospital level. So trying to identify the bad actors and then go after them and say, Hey, why are you denying people charity care for X or what, you know, what, why are, do you have this thing in your policy that does not align with 501R at all? Um, and you just made it up or why are, you know, so trying to drive that conversation and, and really see if hospitals are willing to, to have those conversations um, to, you know, engage with us about how we can make it better um and live up to their missions and and see or if they're just kind of you know going through the motions and and you know saying what they're supposed to say so it's been it's been really fun um and i'll kind of pause there uh yeah so let me ask you you know what kind what kind of trends are you seeing i mean i know you know you're 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 doing data collection you you know you're you're building you know some invaluable tools for dollar four obviously right but what kind of patterns what kind of trends are you seeing on the part of hospitals and their behaviors um yeah so i'll uh i'm just gonna like rapid fire some stuff at you uh yeah and and then pause pause me if you if you want to touch on one so um first thing that we started noticing was probably 95 percent of hospitals require you to fax your applications into the hospital. Um, do you have a fax machine, Sean? <laughs> the, uh, so it's an incredibly- I, I, Really interesting. I, I, let me stop you for one second. I'm so sorry, but really interesting. I actually have a case that I literally just got retained on today that has to do with fax machines versus e-faxes that are built into the electronic medical record systems. So I'm fascinated to see where you're going because again, you know, freestanding fax machines, believe it or not, are still, you know, in 78, 79% of physician practices yep. and hospitals, but it's in rural areas where there's been a lag in adoption for EHRs. So really fascinating, but no, I do not have a fax machine. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, nobody does. I mean, it's one of those things where, it's just a huge barrier to, to patients. How do I get like, one of the biggest questions we get is like, how do I submit this? How do I even get this info into the hospital? And um, when you mail it, you may as well flip a coin. Like these hospitals, they, they may get it, they may, you know, <laughs> may not. So that's one thing um, that, that we're noticing. Another thing is uh, the, you know, 13% thir of people that reach out to us um, are reaching out about, childbirth, maternity services expenses. Um, and it doesn't sound like a huge number, but it is. 
it's, it's a big it's a big number of people that like that's one of the the big causes um and then we've actually seen hospitals that have in their policies they say financial assistance isn't eligible for people with maternity services which you can't do either um the the other thing that we're seeing right. is probably 50 percent um of hospitals that we have in our database uh have some type of insurance requirement so if you have any type of insurance at all you are not eligible for for charity care um so you could have a eight thousand dollar deductible you could be significantly you know underinsured um it doesn't matter if you have insurance you're not eligible where the other 50 percent realize that's a huge problem and they you know they will write off the that that deductible um we we notice uh, minimum bill amounts. So there are hospitals that say if you if your hospital bill isn't twenty five hundred dollars or more, you don't get charity care. That I mean, I mean, what what kind of nonsense is that though? I mean, is that just something yeah. that they're they're making up? I mean, where where is this coming from? Yeah, I mean, I think well, so it's funny because it's like I mean, I've read through five hundred one R a few times, and like it. Yes, my suspicion is like, let's add some shit. And if nobody checks us on it, then nobody checks us on it. And for a decade, nobody's checked them on it. So to me, it's like, yes, it is an absolute random additional thing that they're trying to throw in there to make it difficult for patients. Um, where I'm like, where where do you, like, that is illegal. Re- requiring someone to have a, a large bill to be eligible for charity care like that that's absurd um another thing that we're seeing is um residency issues so like i get you know people that you know they're gonna fly across the country to to get a you know a doctor that they like or to you know whatever i, I get that as like oh no you got to be a resident but when it comes to emergency care we're dealing with the case right now um where woman lived in indiana and in a bordering town of illinois she worked in illinois commuted every day um and she had an emergency in illinois and the hospital saying oh sorry you're not eligible because you're a non-resident even though it was an emergency service and and she's you know working in the state so it's like we we get that a lot too where people get the residency yeah. thing wrong where it's like if you have an emergency in a different state or this you know your local hospital doesn't offer the service that you need you can't deny people based off residency um and right. whenever we bring that to hospitals it's always like we don't do that that's a one-off case but when we call them and we kind of do like these little sting operations where we say, hey, you know, I need charity care. I'm from this state. They'll just, it's like, they don't deny patients for that, even though sometimes they do, but they discourage them from applying in the first place. So it, it's a, anyways, it's a mess. Those are some things that we're noticing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Those, well, let me, let me, let me first for, for some of our, for some of our listeners that aren't as familiar with the terminology as i am that um jared is talking about so when you're talking about 501 r these these are irs regulations that tie directly into the hospital revenue cycle right and what 501 r and it's section six basically it it let me try to streamline it 
it requires a hospital organization to make reasonable efforts to determine whether an individual is eligible for assistance under the hospital organization's financial assistance program. It's what they call an FAP. And they have to do that before the hospital is allowed to engage in what they refer to as extraordinary collection efforts. They call these ECAs. Sounds so like, you know, like James Bond kind of thing. FAPs, ECAs. But basically, there are compliance requirements that hospitals have to be able to demonstrate in order to be deemed to have operated in accordance with a reasonable good faith interpretation of 501R. So, you know, this is this is what and well, let me say this. This is why an organization like Dollar 4 needs more funding, needs more recognition and needs more help in advocating on behalf of patients who are being um, sideswiped, um, told inaccurate information, and put through a mill trying to get some sense of resolution to these extraordinary medical bills. And, you know, y- you made a, a statement that like 13 to 15% of what you're dealing with are tied to obstetric care, right? Uh, childbirth maternity services. Uh, yeah, so ob- ob- obstetrical care, yeah. right? Childbirthing services. I mean, come on. Really? Yeah. Go ahead, I mean, Jared. I'm sorry. Sorry, go 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 ahead. I, I, I No, I no, no. I was saying, go, go ahead. Fin- finish your thought. I apologize. I just wanted to make sure the listeners understood what 501R really was. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. And I mean, I think that that's like, you know, in 501R, what, Section 4 or whatever, where it says, you know, hey, you have to you have to screen patients. You have to like you do your community health needs assessment. You realize, OK, these are the people we're trying to serve. And then when when people go through your hospital, how do you screen for financial assistance? Because, you know, that's that's one of the biggest problems that we're seeing is hospitals and like the narrative is we're doing we're doing all we can like what what else could we possibly do and then when you start asking them questions about like well how are you screening and then they'll say well we have a poster in the er (laughs) it's like okay sweet so i go into the freaking er and i've got a broken bone you think i'm reading your freaking poster like get out of here so or hey we have a you know, we, we have a, a, you know, financial assistance phone number on the back of your hospital bill. Um, and and it's like I even like I challenge people all the time, like call that number. Tell me that they don't put you on a payment plan first. Like they will put you on a payment because like de- define financial assistance. A payment plan could very well be financial assistance, but they're not going to tell you about charity right off the bat. So like if you don't speak the language you don't get told about it. And um, a lot of times, like right now in in the state of Oregon, there's a, a state law that went into effect a few years ago, I think just maybe two years ago, where it says, hey, you can't send patients to collections or sue patients 
before screening to see if they're eligible. And we're finding thousands and thousands of patients that were eligible for charity care uh, that are being sued and and sent to collections right now, and and they were never they were never screened. And I think that that's kind of the you know what what hospitals say to us is you know we're we're doing all we can. One one hospital in Oregon actually said we're spending over seven thousand dollars a month just on postage on sending out paper applications to patients, and we get less than one percent of those back. And it's like. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> like because of the I mean, really? Your paper application and then fax it back to you. Uh or you, you know what I mean? It's like they it's almost like they're just lighting money on fire so that they can continue to say we're doing all we can. Look at how much money we're spending trying to do this and it's like just like let us screen patients for you. Like we can do it for a fraction yeah. of that. <laughs> um and so anyways, those are interesting conversations trying to talk to hospitals about their financial assistance process and try and like weasel our way in to working with these hospitals on, Hey, let, let us screen the patients. Um, we'll, we'll make sure that they, you know, and you know, some hospitals are interested in talking others aren't. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, <laughs> it, it it's like trying to convince the federal government to allow the private sector to engage in areas where the federal government is just so inefficient and incapable of getting out of their own way. And that's what you find at a lot of hospital systems. You find a lot of heavy red tape middle managers that are afraid if they utilize an organization like yours, that they now, for some reason, become obsolete or their job is less crucial than what it was before. Let me let me share with you a breaking news, okay? Your role, if you continue to act the way you're acting, is not that essential to begin with. Being forward-thinking, looking at what technologies are available, and getting out of your own way is what you should be doing as an effective leader in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Find organizations that are not looking to pick your pocket, but looking to streamline your operation and looking to help you advocate, which is what a hospital is supposed to do. You're supposed to advocate for the care of your patients. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a it's not a, a, a difficult concept to understand. Yeah, well, it's the the narrative that we get. The story that we get every time we talk to these hospitals is, well, one, we'll, we'll, we always start with a few cases that we have at their hospital. Hey, this is what's going on. These are the trends that we're seeing. Um, so we always get, number one, that's a one-off case. We don't do that. And then we dig a little deeper. Um, and then it's, well, we're doing all we can. And this is a huge administrative burden on us. And we're, we're doing everything we can. And then we say, okay, well, here are some things we know that are better. And then they go straight into, well, word gets out and we can't be known as the most generous hospital. Like that, that's not, you know, we, we don't want to be known as the most generous hospital. And then it goes to we're broke. <laughs> so it's just, it's like <laughs> the same, the same thing. Hey, that's a one-off case. We don't do that. We're doing all we can. We can't be the most generous hospital. We're broke. And I'm, I'm very curious to, 
And I'm not saying like that all of these hospitals are, are you know, absolutely terrible with this. Some hospitals do it really well and we don't have to. No, you know, they're we, not. They're not. They're not. I mean, listen, let's let's be let's be candid. Right. Not all individuals that work at hospitals in a leadership role are looking to do harm. Mm-hmm. You know, look, this is a for profit healthcare system. Right. So the hospitals want to make money. But, you know, through charity care, there are significant breaks that they are granted through yeah, the yeah. IRS by having these charity care programs. So. I agree with you 100%. The first thing that happens when you call, you know, the hospital financial department, what can you afford to pay? Let's mm-hmm. let's put you onto a financial plan. You know, we could we can do an ACH if you have your bank account and your routing number, we can put you on, you know, uh, a credit card payment, but oh, by the way, we surcharge, so there's a 3% markup on that. Um but I believe the majority of people in hospital administrations are trying to do the right thing. There's just so much bureaucracy, so much red tape. And I agree with you as somebody who worked in the hospital systems for years with the largest hospital health systems in the world. Uh, it's always that mentality of, well, that's a one-off. Well, okay. (laughs) You called us on it, but it didn't happen that often to man. Look, we're doing the best we can. All right, fine. We're broke. I mean, it, it's just a cycle of insanity, and somebody's got to break it, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting, and that, and you know, that's kind of like my big, you know, the 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 big thing that I would ask, like the your audience is, yeah, like what hospital, what hospitals do want to talk about how they can actually, um make this better because that one thing that they also say in that kind of series is we would never want to bill a patient that doesn't have the means to pay that's you you know like hey this is where this is our value this is our mission we're not trying to do that we're not about that but then when you start giving them solutions then it turns into eh well you can't be known as the most generous hospital so it's like we're not we're we're not going to bankrupt you hospital for, by applying a little more charity care to these people like it, it's just it's just uh how do we effectively get the people in your community that that uh need this the most how do we get them access to it and and i feel like we can provide that in a better way at the hospital because again th- and this is unfortunate but like if you're the patient and that hospital's billing you and they're calling you they're the bad guy if they're calling you they're calling to collect but when we call, like we get to play the good guys and hospitals might, you know, not like that, but it is what it is. Like they, they pick up our calls. They email us back. I mean, they text us. We got, a, we got a texting thing back and forth. Like it works. So just trying to. Let me ask you, have you ever, have you ever had a faith-based hospital say to you, Jared, okay. we can't be known as the most generous hospital out there. That would just set me off. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, yes, we, we've had, we've had, I mean, a lot of these hospitals are, are, you know, they have like faith roots or, uh, you know, faith-based system. Yeah. Um, I mean, just all the stuff that happened with, you know, with Providence in Washington, which I'm sure you, you know about, like, that was yes, pretty sir. brutal. <laughs> pretty, pretty it, brutal. it was absolutely brutal. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. All right. So listen, here's what I want to say to the audience. Okay. 
I want you to go to dollar four. It's www.dollarfor.org. I'm going to put a link in the podcast episode description. I want you to go and I want you to check out what Jared and the incredible folks are doing to ensure compliance with 501R at these hospitals. I want you to understand what debt forgiveness means. I want you to see the impact that dollar four is having across our country every single day for people who can't advocate for themselves, either because they can't or they don't know how to. I want you to figure out how you can get involved. If you have some extra time and you have a strong knowledge base on how these systems work and you're willing to help fight the good fight, donate some of your time. If you don't have the skill sets, you don't have the time, donate some money. Help this organization continue to push their mission forward for crushing medical bills because we're living in hard times and people need that hand, that helping hand, not a handout, but that helping hand. Jared, let me give you the last word before we sign off on this thing, my friend. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, I would say last thing is um, if you are connected to organizations that work with low-income folks that, that need help, we are a referral program. Send like We will set up a custom URL, you know, $4.org slash compliance guy, whatever it is, and then we can track all that. We can send you reports, show the impact that we've had on people from your community. Um, so if you're connected to organizations that are serving a similar population, and I'm sure you see medical bills all the time, send them our way. Um, yeah, appreciate your time. Absolutely. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. Um, for the month of February, we're going to make Dollar Four the official charity of the Compliance Guy uh, podcast. I'm going to go ahead and get a link to their. Uh, donation site up on the Compliance Guy website, www.thecompliancegui.com. I'll make sure that we have a link in each and every single one of the episodes that we post for the entire month of February. Let's see what we can help Dollar Four raise so that they can continue to carry their mission forward. Folks, I know there's a lot of charities out there. Um, I give every single month. I have five charities that I give to every single month I have for the last decade uh, because one, it's important. Two, it feels good. And three, it's the right thing to do. When you find an organization that has the right mission, the right message, and the ability to help those that need that helping hand, you got to jump in and you got to do something. It doesn't matter whether you donate once, whether you donate monthly, or you do something along the line of roundups. There's all kinds of different options and different things that you can do. Listen, if you've got the money to go out and get an $8 cup of Starbucks coffee, you got a $5 to donate to a worthy cause. Again, that's just my point, and that was directed towards my wife, 
who spends ungodly amounts of money at Starbucks. All right. Jared Walker of Dollar Four, CEO, global, global globe trotter, uh, man on a mission. My friend, always good to see you, good to talk to you. Uh, I'm excited that you allow my program to carry forward the message that you guys are putting out there. And I look forward to seeing what happens come March 1st. Let's see what we can do together. And you're welcome back on this program anytime when you have updates for us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. And again, to each and every single one of y'all, thank you so much for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me. Don't forget, we'll be back on Monday with the All-Star Coding Compliance Roundtable. And then Tuesday, man, I am so excited. My good friend, Emmy Award winner, Clint Pulver, is going to be back on the Compliance Guy live on LinkedIn at 1 p.m. Eastern, 11 Mountain Time. We're going to be talking about the management masterclass, everything that he's got going on with the, with the undercover millennial and all the things that he is doing to make life better for everyone. All right. So until then, remember, be good to yourself. But more importantly, y'all be good to each other. Take care. You've been listening to The Compliance Guy. Sean has been doing this for 28 years. He holds 10 national board certifications. He's a partner and the vice president of compliance for Doctors Management, LLC. He's a subject matter expert in federal court. He's lectured at the most prestigious institutions. He's engaged with members of Congress in both chambers. So what we're saying is he's qualified? We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can find us on social media at The Compliance Guy. See you next time on The Compliance Guy.